Hi, my name is Con Kutikus and this is A Couple with a Conversationalist, an entertaining, educational and informative program with a broad array of guests with unique perspectives and experiences. Good morning, Adelaide. My name is Con and I am the conversationalist and my drink of choice, as always, is a latte. Very honoured and privileged to have Annie Harvey as my guest. Annie, through her business, The Still Effect, is a wellbeing educator. She's a TEDx speaker and an Amazon best-selling author with her book, The Little Book of Still, Calm for Busy Lives. Annie's mission is to teach skills to prevent burnout to as many people as possible. And her particular passion is helping the helpers. Good morning, Annie. How are you? Morning, Colin. Very well, thank you. Good, good. Lovely to have you this morning. Very lovely to be here on a beautiful sunny day. It is. It's a gorgeous day here in Adelaide. I've resorted back to the outdoor studios at Clarence Gardens for one of the last times. Annie, tell me... Uh, a bit of background. Where did uh, where did your I guess whether it be your interest or your passion for for being a well being educator originate from? Uh, I think originally I I was a business owner. I still have a children's tutoring business in Adelaide, and initially I was going in. I absolutely loved it. Still love being with the kids and making a difference for the kids. But after about um, six years of owning the business, I noticed that things weren't quite aligning with my values. Probably my values had changed a little bit. And I was working a lot more interested in working with the children and the teenagers on mental health. That's how I cuss the, the thing started. And I took myself off to train to be a life coach um, five years ago. And it all kind of went from there. Basically, where lots of people that have trained to be a life coach just do it for themselves. They don't go on to continue to be like do life coaching so I learned an awful lot about myself and really what I then wanted to do next which was work in the area of mental health and well-being for kids teens and adults so that's the route I took awesome you mentioned in your little um, intro that you sent to me recently that the name the still effect originated from the TED talk that you did tell me about that yeah, so um, it was in my 50th year, so you now know how old I am, um, <laughs> four years ago. Uh, I was doing 50 new things in, in the 50th year, and I didn't really have a bucket list. I just kind of mm. said yes to everything, which got me into trouble now and again. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I'm trained in is a thing called laughter yoga, and I was invited in 2016 to warm up the TEDx volunteers before they opened the doors to the crowds just with a little bit of laughter and I looked at the pink dot or the red dot and thought hmm I'd quite like to do that on that dot but you know laughed it off and then applied for it at the very last minute two minutes before midnight and said I bet I can make a thousand people in the Adelaide Town Hall meditate and laugh out loud in three minutes and just pressed enter and laughed at it as I sent it off because there's no way they're going to say yes to that and uh, about three weeks later, I got a call to say you've got a you've got a spot on the on the dot. And I said, awesome. Can I do I have ten or twelve minutes? Because that's how long TEDx speakers have. And they said, well, you asked for three, so you've got three minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's that's how I got into TEDx, which is um, a really great 
speaking venue, obviously, yeah. and you get lots of, it, you're open to having lots of training if you want to. Mm. And I wanted to add some kind of visual into my talk. Eventually they gave me six minutes because they loved it so much. And I came up with still as an acronym for the audience to remember what I was teaching them, which at the time was stop, inhale, listen, and laugh. Um, and I just carried it on from there. So I had never any intention of it being my business name or anything. It was just something for that particular day. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, an amazing story. And well, you asked for three minutes and you got three minutes. So ladies and gentlemen, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you want three minutes, ask for three minutes. If you want more, ask for more. Exactly Annie, right. Um, the still effect. So you're a wellbeing educator and certainly at the moment, with COVID, there's enormous challenges, whether it be uh, individuals, business owners, uh, and the like. And Victoria, unfortunately, is is seeing some uh, extremely difficult times. And uh, I know people personally who are isolated, and and it's it's very challenging to their mental health. What are you What are you seeing, and what are you doing at the moment? What is there a particular focus you have? Is there a particular group that you're finding yourself working with? Um, it's been a really big variety, actually. I did a keynote a couple of weeks ago for um, a bank and brokers. Westpac Bank were sponsoring a broking, brokering a conference, effectively, that obviously I should have been on stage in Sydney and Melbourne, et cetera, mm -hmm. doing. So I did that online, which is an interesting exercise in itself to do a keynote yeah. through a tiny little webcam <laughs> to hundreds of people. Um, but... What I've noticed of myself and my own mental health was that I just have to teach what I do myself, which has always been my thing anyway. I only teach people what I've researched, what I've tried and what's worked for me. But it's become even more poignant to teach those things. And they're really, most of them are really, really small, simple steps. So, for example, that, that keynote that I gave, I, mean, I didn't know who, was, who the audience were, mostly female brokers. Uh, and I got a call from one the next day who I didn't know to say that's made a massive difference. I've got three kids, I'm single mum, and now I know how to sit around a table and have a conversation with my kids about what we're grateful for. And that's, that's what I got from your talk. So wow. really simple, but can be really powerful. So there's that kind of audience. And then I also work with um, teachers and nurses and aged care workers. Those are my real passions, I guess. So people who work with the vulnerable and that's you know, particularly in aged care, that's a particularly stressful time at the moment. So just giving them really, really simple techniques that they can bring into their daily life that doesn't take too much thought. It does mm. take a bit of practice, but not too much thought. Mm. Look, and I think I find that uh, in situations like this or indeed people are looking for a silver bullet. They're looking for a, you know, a one that what's the one thing that I can do? You know, just give me that magic pill. And, and we know that that just doesn't exist. You mentioned about uh, being able to, you know, sit around the table and have a conversation, which, which sadly I actually mentioned to a group of Rotaract Aryans last night. And for those that don't know, Rotaract is the junior version of Rotary. And it's, it was amazing that, uh, you know, when you speak to them, it's the little things. They just, they, they struggle to have a conversation. Mm. You know, social media has, has created this, you know, it's a double-edged sword. And, and to that end, 
having being able to sit down at a table and have a conversation with your kids or your family or your loved ones. You're right. It's just it, it, it just it just doesn't get the credit that it deserves. No. And I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, this situation around the world has made many of us sit back and, you know, we hear it all the time. It's made us realise what's more important. And, and I'm hoping that's going to continue. And certainly right at the beginning, you know, families I know were mm. back to playing cards, bit like the kind of things they do when they have a power cut and they have to get the candles out and play Scrabble or get a jigsaw out. Um, so like one massive power cut has hit the world and they've got back to some basics. And a lot I know are continuing it, but mm. quite a few I know have just gone back to, you know, whatever the norm is for them. Uh, and social media has been amazing to keep in touch. Like for mm. me, you know, some of my family's still in the UK. Yeah. And I wouldn't know what I'd do without that. But I had to be very selective or still am very selective as to when I look at it and, and who I observe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and just on that, I've, I've actually, for those that may or may not know, and I'm, I'm not tech savvy by any stretch of the imagination, there's a little thing on your, in your settings on your iPhone about screen time and how much you've spent. And I've actually activated that and it was a real eye-opener and my goal is to reduce that number on a weekly basis and, and use it to look at on a need basis, not to fill in time when you're, you know, just standing around. Uh, Annie, you mentioned about sitting around and, and just having a conversation just for the, for the viewers and listeners. Can you give us another uh, couple of tips that, that would be useful to, uh, to help people, I guess particularly who are, having to self-isolate like my, my daughter's uh, sister-in-law who's in Melbourne. She lives in, in a unit. There's no backyard. And the poor girl is obviously just, you know, in isolation. And there is, you know, I mean, I know back, uh, you know, in, with prisoners and things like that, one of the cruelest forms of torture is isolation. Mm. Um, you know, can you give us a couple of tips that might be useful to these people? I think it's around, uh, you know, we hear a lot about connection. So connecting however that is for you when you can't get out of your house. Um, but my biggest thing is around um, how many positive emotions, so not positive talk necessarily, but mm. positive emotions you can bring into your day. So there's a psychologist called Barbara Fredrickson who says, you know, there are, there are 10 common positive emotions like um, joy and fun and awe mm. and love and gratitude. And that we, we to live an ideal life, whatever that looks like for us at the moment, is to have a ratio of three positive emotions to one negative. So if you think about from the moment you've got up this morning to right now, which is a short amount of time, how many of those emotions, how many positive, how many negative, what's the ratio? And a lot of people say, oh, I've actually had the other way around. I've had three negatives to one positive. Mm -hmm. And can you look at maybe turning that round? So when I have my low days, for example, and we all have those, mm -hmm. I will go in search of things that will just lift my spirit, even if it's just for 90 seconds. Most of our emotions only last for 90 seconds anyway. Our moods last much longer but our emotions are there and gone in 90 seconds. So mm. on Sunday, for example, I sat, um, I sat at my window, so I didn't go outside, and I, I found a tree. I don't have a tree in my garden, but I found a tree and just stared at that tree and really watched the birds going in and out of that tree and just got a sense of, of awe, which is 
you know, the best way is, is nature to find awe. And you just notice a, like a little shift in your body. And you don't think that does much good. But if you do that three or four times in a day, what I then notice is the rest, rest of my day turned into a, a different mode, I guess, just from doing that a few times in the morning. Mm. But you have to, you know, you have to go out and find it or stay in mm. and find it, whatever it is, how you can bring in those positive emotions and just have a slight shift in your physical body, mm. which then shifts your psychology. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. It's a bit like uh, uh, business and, and work opportunities don't just come knocking on your door, you know, when you I guess you're going through a bit of a tough spot or whatever. You need to be proactive and be out there looking for these things, for opportunities to present. And, and similarly, as you said, with these, you know, uh, you need to look for things that make you, that uplift you that, that mm. give you uh, a positive feeling. And, and they'd be really, really small. And often mine yeah. is the way my dog's tail wags, for example. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not massive. Uh, um, but you have to go and so And then, it, then it's a realisation that you, you've got a choice. You can yeah. choose to find these emotions. Mm. That's, that's a really powerful word, choice. You know, people trying to, trying to get that across to people that ultimately they make the decision to label experiences either good or bad or they have a choice on how they feel and it's at, at, and how they i guess i teach respond versus react uh and and about just you know absorbing what's going on and and looking for the positives out of it and things that are going indeed going to uplift you yeah and actually, I wanted to say that I, something you posted the other day with the Simon Sinek thing about yeah. nervous being ex- versus yeah. being excited. Yeah. Both my husband and I tried that out on Sunday. Yeah. Um, he had a big race through Regatta, and yeah. I was uh, about to appear on South Aussie with Cozzy on Sunday night, and I had no yeah. idea what was going to be there, and I was literally terrified all day long. <laughs> and then I watched your thing from Simon Sinek, and I just went around all day going... I'm so excited. I'm going to make a difference to these people. I'm so excited to see myself on TV, even though inside I was, you know, curdling effectively. And, and Mark did the same with his racing and it really made a difference. It's, it's, so it's, it's reframing, as you say, you, what you think turns into your belief turns into your actions and Absolutely. there are ways, but, but you have to do the work. Yeah. You have to be able yeah. to do it. You can't sit and wait for it to come to you. It's uh, yeah. Nobody's, uh, I saw uh, somebody else posted recently on social media and, and it's done the rounds for, for a long time. Uh, nobody's knocking on your door to save you, you know. So we, we need mm. to be out there, and that's for our emotions and, uh, and everything else. Uh, yeah, Annie, but I, I'm sorry. So no, on no. that point, knocking on your door, which reminds mm. me of um, I went through a pretty horrible divorce 20-odd years ago, and one person, a great friend of mine in the UK, knocked on my door every day, and all she did was she left two boiled eggs at my front door because she knew I wasn't eating. Wow. So I was, I was drinking and smoking and not doing much else. She left two boiled eggs on my door every day. So what I've discovered from that and one of the things I teach is around, you know, particularly at the moment, who are those people that you are connecting with? Are they the right people? Like I'm being quite conscious about who I'm spending time with at the moment. And it doesn't mean that I've got my Marie Kondo book out and said, these friends don't bring me joy. I'm going to yeah. put them in the skip. But just, yeah, just being a bit more selective and surrounding yourself with people that are going to make you feel a little bit better after a conversation. 
Yeah. And it's, that's an interesting exercise in itself. It, it, it is. Um, I, I've done the same thing. I mean, the last couple of months have been uh, a little bit, I've, I've made them a little bit challenging, more challenging for myself than they perhaps should have been. Uh, and, um, and certainly being very selective of the people that I spend time with. And you're right, it's not that you take, you know, certain family members or, or friends or whatever and you pour petrol over them and put a match to them. Um, but we need to understand that we need to limit our time with people that aren't uh, uplifting and indeed encouraging and, and, you know, creating a positive positive framing. Annie, I, I want to ask you about television. Now, I had an experience uh, probably about four months ago where I was pretty upbeat during the course of the day and a family uh, member came over and wanted to watch the news. Now, I hadn't watched the news for quite some time. And, of course, it was in the right in the smack dab of, of COVID, uh, you know, when we were facing some pretty challenging times in South Australia. And I've got to tell you, I could feel the, the, the weight and the heaviness just bear down on me and my, my mood, my emotion become quite solemn in the space of five minutes. Mm. Like, what, what are your thoughts around that? So uh, I think that's something to do with, we all have these things called mirror neurons. So, you know, firstly, I've done the same. I avoided the news as much as possible. In fact, I took my news alerts off my phone as well. Um, so I talk to people around a thing called empathy fatigue and or compassion fatigue some people call it mm. so we all have empathy as human beings and we see something that is horrific happening on tv and we have these mirror new ones so we take we can take on those people that those people's suffering literally into our bodies and into wow. our psyches um so that might explain how it had such a rapid effect and the thing around having the, the fatigue, which, you know, can lead to burnout and all sorts of things, is uh, if you can turn that into compassion where you want to actually um, take action to help, so not literally go and help those people that you've seen suffering on the other side of the world or something, but what is something that you could do to take action on something that's happening in Australia or some, some form of compassionate act or even compassionate act to yourself, and that can kind of switch it so you're not just carrying those neuron, mirror neurons in your body the whole time. Does that make sense? It's yeah, a little absolutely. tricky to explain, but it would certainly explain why, uh, why you felt like you did. And then, then, then you use all these simple tools where you go and um, yeah, take action as opposed to just sit and think about it and feel mm. worse and worse and worse. Mm. Um, and then put all those, you know, minute little strategies in. There's um. There's a story, and I don't know how true this is, but they said that um, Mother Teresa used to, every four or five years, she would tell her nuns to go and take a whole year off from their role because they would suffer from this thing called empathy fatigue or compassion fatigue, mm. and they needed a break. So how cool would that be if we all got one year off paid wow. leave, ideally, yeah. every four <laughs> or five years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I so, think the employers who may be watching this are cringing at the moment, Annie. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's you know it needs to be recognised, and mm. it's a really big thing in healthcare. Um, you know, because certainly more empathic people go into that kind of career anyway. 
and just to recognize that where it is in their body and what they can do to get rid of that or to take action. So it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk about the workplace. Obviously many businesses uh, are, are indeed doing it tough at the moment uh, as a result of COVID, but even prior to that, there's always, as, as business owners, there's always challenges and having staff is one of those challenges, having, I guess, having the right staff. But staff also, they're faced with significant challenges, you know, uh, overworked, uh, I won't go to about underpaid, but certainly, you know, workloads, uh, an expectation of, you know, longer hours. And I know their mental health is, is challenged at times. <laughs> what can we do or what, what can we do with employers to help on a larger scale? Now, the first thing employers are going to do, well, it's just another cost of doing business. I get that. What, but how, how can we get around this? I, I just think it's so important. Mm. Um. There are a couple of theories on that. Most people would work on the kind of top-down theory. So it's important that leadership um, managers are have look after their own well-being first. So they're the good role models. Um, but also I work from the kind of bottom up as well. So I tend to work with the frontline workers mm. in teams. And then as, as their well-being improves, then it kind of works its way up. So there's two ways of looking at it. But it very much for me, it's around educating people on, you know, what burnout is. It's actually a diagnosable thing from the World Health Organization now. Okay. Um, and showing people what the signs are so they can look out for them in themselves or in others. Uh, how to have that conversation. And, you know, Are You Okay Day last week is great for that. Um, get everyone everyone or certainly representatives in the business trained in mental health first aid. That's a fantastic course. Mm. Uh, that's still running. They're probably teaching that online at the moment. So around educating and also a big thing called presenteeism. So, you know, you might have, you might not be suffering from something yourself. Like I've worked in companies where um, a couple of the guys would come in and their productivity was low and the leadership didn't really know what was going on. And that's because their wives at home were suffering from postnatal depression. And, you know, again, what we're talking about with those mirror neurons things, you can take on those yeah. side effects and take them into work. And then if you're not working at your top level, then that's, that's actually called presenteeism. And that's a huge cost to Australian businesses. Mm. which we're not even aware. We all know we can all measure absenteeism and yeah. you know how many people are coming in and out each week. But mm. presenteeism is really hard to measure other than you know looking at productivity. Yeah, so just yeah. that's why I call myself an ed a well-being educator. It's just giving them all those facts first. Mm. And sometimes it's a bit of a wake-up call to, oh, okay, perhaps we well, need to, you know. I, I can tell you the presenteeism is not certainly nothing that I ever considered. Uh, but But... Now that you mentioned it, it's absolutely right. I mean, I've been in situations, you know, working for people where you've gotten to work and, and the kids didn't sleep at night, you're just not feeling well or whatever, and, and really you're, you're there, but you're really there in, in body and, and your productivity is, is, uh, is at best questionable. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, it's certainly a real thing. Uh, Annie, the other thing I'd, I'd like to talk to you about is... Um, with 
Do you find there's a uh, leaning more to a particular gender that are, I guess, more open in, I guess, expressing or acknowledging that they may have a, uh, have an issue or a challenge? Um, it's, it's always been said that women are always, you know, more open, you know, to have a conversation about their emotions and their feelings, and, and guys certainly certainly don't, and I'm absolutely guilty of that. Do you find there's there's a, a you know a leaning towards gender? Um, I mean, yeah, it tends to follow what you just said, but I am finding more when I do presentations in smaller groups, particularly since it's gone online, yeah. where um, the the men have felt it's a safe environment to be able to speak up a little bit. Mm. Um, once, uh, as again, once they've been educated around what the signs are to look out for and how to ask for help or how to approach someone else if they're recognising something in someone mm. else as well. I think um, I'm hoping that that is changing, mm. particularly through this year. Uh, but yeah, the generalisation is that we as women are, are much better at opening up or just you know mm. having a, a deeper conversation more quickly, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're, you know, you're, you're very capable of it. I think it's just having the, the right people. And there's, you know, there is still a stigma around it all, obviously. Absolutely. But that we are definitely seeing a change in that. Mm. Um, and it's a huge issue in Australia. So I'm hoping that more and more people, and, it, and you know, I, that's why I work in the area of prevention. Um, because all the, everything that's out there now is, is fantastic. But we've, you know, all the helplines that we have, we're very low on psychologists in this country. So if we can look okay. at more prevention programs so that we're not having long waiting lists for people to see psychologists mm. and get their mental health plans, and then for me, that's, that's a really big step. Mm. And it starts, it starts really at school. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just some of the things that you read about and some of the un unfortunate suicides you know, with, with youth is just absolutely tragic uh, and, and so, so, so preventable. It's, it's absolutely tragic. Mm. Annie, I could uh, talk to you for days, but I know you don't have days. You're a very busy woman. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and I'm very, very grateful for you to take some time uh, out of your morning to share some really, really valuable insights with uh, my listeners and all viewers. And what I'll do is uh, on the social media post, I'll have uh, Annie's contact details for any organisation. Uh, I would encourage you to, to get onto this lady. She is an absolute whiz uh, and everything is, is from the heart, um, absolutely from the heart. Thank Annie. you. And if you want to laugh, watch the, watch the TEDx talk. That's <laughs> what we need to end on. You definitely need, definitely need more laughter in our lives. And that's what I'm getting a lot more calls about at the moment yeah. is to go in and do this laughter wellness yeah. workshops. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. People are yeah. saying we, we just want to have a bit of fun and a bit of light hearted stuff. Yeah. So they, yeah, they, all the say, talk. they all say laughter is indeed the best medicine, isn't it? Um, mm. Annie, again, thank you very much. My name is Con and I am the conversationalist and good day and Thanks. good morning to you all. See ya. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of A Cuppa with a Conversationalist. To join in next time, follow or subscribe. And for more information about my coaching and workshops, visit my website at www.concoutsikas.com.